0: Hey, everybody. And today by popular demand, we're getting Del Bigtree in here. You guys have we've been thinking of bringing him in to discuss his point of view for quite some time. But uh, many of you were quite persistent. And so in response to that popular demand, we are delighted to have him here today. He has been um, he's got one of these voices that has been concerned, raising questions that have turned out to be uh, very important. Uh, and some of his conclusions are now being borne out. His. uh podcast. Oops, I want to make sure I get it. Is it The High Wire? Am I getting that right, everybody? Oh, there we so. go. Yep. Uh, the High Wire, it's the fastest growing program uh, with over, in natural health, so over 100 million views. He will be at the Conscious Life Expo, which is a four-day event in Los Angeles. He will be speaking on February 13th between noon and 1.30 if you want a chance to actually meet him in person. So here we go. We're going to sort of try to solve and figure out so many of the things that have had me shaking my head this entire last three years. I know many of you are very concerned, particularly about vaccine injury and whatnot, so we'll try to get into all that right after this. Our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopath start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction. Fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake, where the hell you think I learned that? Also, just a reminder, tomorrow, Dr. Ryan Cole joins us again. He apparently has a lot of interesting pathology to update us on. I still I still have lots of questions. I'm still trying to figure things out. Uh, last time he was here, you guys seemed to really enjoy what he had to say. Jeff Deist on um, Thursday, it's going to be more of a talk about economics and uh, that sort of thing. And then on Tuesday, Susan, I see you have a, something on hold there. Do you want to talk about that real quickly? No mic on. I know. There we go.
1: <laughs> uh let's see. Let's...
0: I see Lauren Bobert or Dave Rubin.
1: Oh, Tuesday. Tuesday, that's the That's Monday.
0: No, that's the following Monday. The no, following Tuesday,
1: mon- Tuesday we have um
0: Oh well, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have I know. Thanks for doing that. Well, no, no. The, <laughs> the, 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 schedule has been, <laughs> the schedule has been fluid and it's been a moving target. I'm for the almost last gonna weeks.
1: say now, Bobert, I think, was the 27th, but...
0: Okay, so... I don't know, maybe I, it is the 7th. Come on! <laughs> I see, oh, There's on my calendar, it says Bobert or Ruben. So,
1: Drew, what's... don't tell people what's on your calendar. Some of that stuff is still secret. Yeah, if it's this, just... If I it's assumed that hold... was going to go to
0: my calendar. I assumed it was right. <laughs> don't tell well, them this stuff. We're going to try to get... Here's a, here's a better idea. Don't put shit <laughs> on my calendar before it's, it's right. No, it's booked.
1: <laughs> I just... Nobody... I guess oh. Michelle didn't put it in the in the schedule yet, so just... I'll, let me find out
0: all right let's do this let's bring our guest in uh again Dell big tree the high wire uh he's a voice you've wanted to hear more from and today we're going to do it Dell, welcome to the program
2: Ooh, it, this is a bucket list oh, moment no. you know you i had a, I had a late night i had a late night gig where i would be listening to love line kept me awake many days many nights there you and Corolla. so it's kind of a it's a great moment to be here and get to, to speak to the man it, himself. it
0: is it- isn't it uh, so odd though that now we can, you know, that that we we're in a radio studio with engineers and, and 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 towers and infrastructure and all these people working there. Now it's just you and I in our little studios in Austin and in it. LA. It's just we can do it ourselves. We don't need
2: all that. Full circle.
0: It's crazy. Indeed. So uh, I I've spent the last three years just like shaking my head. I, so many things happened that I couldn't yeah. believe, and. Uh, I knew something was dreadfully, dreadfully wrong. And as a result of doing these sh- live streams and interviewing lots of people, primarily those who were canceled, primarily the people who were silenced, I have learned a lot. Uh, and it, also I'd say thank you to people that did FOIA suits and got emails and were able to sort of follow the the, the history of what happened here. There's a lot of bizarre decision-making, a lot of uh, e- sort of random, uh, impulsive ideas that had no basis in science or anything else and it feels it seems as though that sort of evangelical non-science based decision-making has carried really perhaps to the present moment how, how do you see all this
2: yeah, I mean, so so my background is as a, as a medical journalist, I was a producer on the CBS Talks for the Doctors for many years, I won an Emmy Award there. So my, my focus has always been from a journalist perspective and you've had great, you've had some great doctors, you have a great one coming on tomorrow, Dr. Ryan Cole. I too have been following many of these people, Dr. Peter McCullough, they've been laying out the science and the details, but I will say that the red flags went off for me fairly early on. Now, part of that is because um, I sort of catapulted myself out of television by daring to investigate vaccines in general. I won't get into the, the basis of that, but it was, it's, a, it's something that I know a lot about. And so when I started seeing people fall down in China, we were seeing these videos and you're asking this question, is this real? Is this China trying to convince us of some story? And a lot of it didn't add up and I'll admit like right in the beginning. Um, you know, I'm always cautious and I was down with wearing a mask or doing whatever is necessary. We don't know what this virus is. I don't know what, I don't know how deadly it is. So early on, it all kind of seemed like it made sense, even though there was an argument seeming to happen in the White House on whether we're going to lock down airports or how bad it really is. And um, but it seemed to me that the, the numbers started rolling in, especially as we started seeing Italy. And though it was really catastrophic, it was very clear that it was affecting a very specific part of the population, usually over the ages, as you know, somewhere around 70 or 80. And then with other comorbidities, even Italy ultimately re- reported that though their death rates were really high, they were really saying that you could only really you know attribute the death by covid to about 8% of the numbers that were being told that the rest had other major comorbidities and so though that's where my questions you know I started asking questions this isn't making sense especially you know now we're talking about where it's coming to america it's coming out of italy and then weird things started happening when you're watching in new york as you know, we knew the one thing you had to do is protect the seniors. I think the Great Barrington Declaration and all the scientists that sort of signed on to that had a really good point, which is let's take this seriously for the group of people it's affecting. And then the rest of us, you know, need to build up our immunity and protect them. But it didn't seem to be that big an issue. It was very big for those that were elderly or had comorbidities. And then you saw these strange roles like, forcing nursing homes in New York, and this happened in several states to take on sick patients after they 'd been to the hospital and it seemed to me that was like throwing a, a match into a dry, dry grass field. Why is that going on um, and you know the, the, and then fairly quickly the change in the the death certificate this we were watching, and several doctors came onto my show, one Scott Jensen. Uh, up in Minnesota, who who said they're changing the way we define death on the death certificates. And I, I, I speak in layman's terms, I'm not a doctor, but simply put, for those of us that have had family members maybe die of cancer or things like that in the hospital, w- usually they really die of pneumonia. I mean, it tends to be the case, most of us would know, you know, they get pneumonia probably because they catch a virus. Their immune system's totally shot, whether they're on chemotherapy or not. But we don't say the pneumonia killed them. We don't really end up saying, we don't replace the cancer. It's still they died of cancer. Their body was just so weak that they were vulnerable. Well, all of a sudden, the death certificates started changing how they wanted doctors reporting that. They didn't want cancer to really be the cause of death, the underlying cause of death. They said, make it COVID. And they went as far as to say, even if you haven't PCR tested the COVID, this is coming straight from the CDC. Even if you haven't PCR tested the COVID, if you just assume it's COVID, make COVID the cause of death. Now we are the United States of America. We're the home of of Apple and IBM and Microsoft. We're into details and numbers. And as you know, the well, you know I, the, I'm better the data you. going I'm in, the better it you. comes out. Go it ahead. Is, Go ahead.
0: I'm gonna throw a little I'm gonna throw a little lighter fluid uh, on, on what you were saying, which is, and this is this is some background you need. And of course, I, I only have experience writing death certificates in California, okay? Let me tell you, unless things have changed dramatically, A, physicians are giving little given little or none, no education or instruction about how to fill out a death certificate. None. That's really in my generation, none. Second, the in in my county, in LA County, they will only accept, accept certain diagnoses. And really, if let's say you had a a, a galloping cancer that really just suddenly took over your brain and you, it chipped away until you stroked out every piece and you just stopped breathing. You died of that cancer. And there really wasn't anything else going on. You might say cerebrovascular disease or stroke as associated with it. They won't take that. They won't take pneumonia. They won't take aspiration. They won't, they won't take anything except cardiopulmonary arrest, which is what happens when everybody dies. Your heart and lungs stop. But that's the only thing you know they're gonna take. And so for cause of death throughout, as long as I've been practicing medicine, cardiopulmonary arrest is sort of what you, so and then you're talking about data, well, then people go, huh, oh, the leading cause of death. And women is heart disease. They all have their heart stops. Look at what happens here. It, it's such a mess. It's such a mess that this piece you're pointing at is just one piece of a system that is deeply, deeply flawed. How they got people to manipulate the COVID part. They probably just said, if you put COVID in, we'll accept the certificate. Otherwise, we won't accept it. And one of the, the reasons, and, and by the way, if you don't accept the death certificate, you are condemning that patient and the family who don't like this to an autopsy. That's usually where it has to go. If you if you say, well, I, I can't put right. cardiopulmonary arrest, I had to put, you know, galloping whatever, breast cancer or something. Um, I, I I don't. Uh, oh, that's it. How, how's the family going to feel about it? And by the way, we have a three-month backlog on on post. So good luck. Good luck with that family. Right. Uh, they would like to be able to mourn the loss. It's terrible. It's a hideous system. I will say one thing uh, about the death certificate, though, that I'm sure is somehow connected to the diagnoses for which somebody is admitted to the hospital. People forget that as a convention, as a matter of convention, hospitals were allowed to put COVID as reason for admission to get a higher level of reimbursement in order to stay open because everyone was staying out of the hospital. So you would put COVID in to get the patient in, even though their mission might be for something unrelated, you still put COVID first.
2: Well, I mean, that's another thing. Can I say something point? too really I mean, quick, look-
1: just to interrupt sure. you guys? I'm sorry. Yeah. But remember when, and I don't know if this was folklore or, or truth, but, Remember, they said that if you died of COVID, they would give you eight thousand dollars to bury your loved one. And I it, do so they remember, were reporting so I it. Really
0: saw that, but I remember. And people I think that was also that kind of
1: sort of something that spurred it along. was certainly,
0: from... if that were true, that something motivates you to to say, "I agree <laughs> with it." Yeah. Right. I mean, all these things you're trying right. to help families, you know, and in a time when the economics are desperate and things are, you know, and they're encouraging you to do this stuff, so it makes sense to me. Again, hosp- but we have to remember it was a convention to keep the hospitals open; otherwise, hospitals would have closed.
2: But why are they closing? I mean, you're a doctor. I have to ask that question. I mean, we have a bad cold going around. We didn't shut down hospitals during AIDS. We didn't shut down hospitals during the Spanish flu. We don't shut down hospitals. But in this case, this was so horrific and so terrifying. As you pointed out, we basically reduced our hospitals down to ICU beds because those are the only ones that can really give you a ventilator. We're not using oxygen. We're not doing the things you would normally do when someone's coming with difficulty breathing. Let's start just giving them some oxygen. Uh, maybe they give them some steroids in their chest. You know, none of that is taking place. So you basically shut down in many yeah. cases, more than half the hospital. And then you say, our, our hospitals are overrun. I mean, you can't even handle any of the other issues going on. I mean, the whole thing seemed nonsensical um, from the beginning end we now know and it wasn't it wasn't very long into it i would say probably within that first year that johnny is one of the you know the world renowned epidemiologists came out and said crunching all the data he believed that the death rate was around 0.27% across the entire population if you take out those those seniors that are you know older 0 to 69 we now know the death rate was like 0.095% um that's a very very low death rate i mean at least it's 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 lower than you would expect it to be if we're locking down hospitals sending doctors home only you know relying on icu beds and, and building army tents you know in in Grant, in the right. central park right
0: right <laughs> that's right and so th- what i am deeply interested in what i'm profoundly interested in is what the hell happened? <laughs> well, what do we think happened? What, why the hysteria? Now, I've got some ideas, um, but uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts because, because it was, would we agree? It was a, a hysteria, consciously it seems like, generated from our public health departments, and correct me if I'm wrong. Also, based on reports from. Uh, boots on the ground they put in China, that they were hoodwinked by the Chinese scientists to engage. Plus, I'll add the fourth thing would be, for instance, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks were very much biased by their experience during the HIV epidemic. What are your thoughts?
2: All right, so here's my thoughts, and and with some context. Prior to COVID, I had been traveling the country and my investigation was into the pharmaceutical industry. I have a nonprofit that brings a lot of FOIA requests and ultimately we bring lawsuits where we think the government's lying to us. When you look at vaccines, remember one of the difficulties of trying to understand what happens there is the total liability protection. I know you know about this, but in 1986, we took away all liability from vaccine manufacturers. And so in the pharmaceutical, I'm gonna give you my theory, right? This is a theory, I don't like speculating really, and I tend to just stick to the facts. But here is my theory of at least one of the reasons why this thing went in such a peculiar direction. Um, Number one, you have the pharmaceutical industry that is, we watch them lose lawsuits all the time, whether it's Vioxx or talcum powder recently. As it turns out, they always knew it caused Uh, Cancer, and they pay out billions of dollars, and they all go on their merry way and make more products, and then get sued in the future. Now imagine the cost. Those products make them money. In the vaccine space, they now have a product that they cannot be sued uh, if it hurts or kills anybody. That's that's a great thing. If anyone that owns any business whatsoever, that'd be awesome. And then you add to it that they don't really have even have to advertise because, at least in the case of the children, it's mandated across the country that the children have to take these products. And every new one that comes on the market that looks great, they just get it through the CDC onto the childhood schedule. And boom, we're making money off of that. Now, I think that in some ways, and I know you've you've talked to Robert Kennedy Jr. and others about uh, regulatory capture and the fact that our regulatory agencies seem to, and, and now with the case of the COVID vaccine, are even making money off of these vaccines. But is it possible that they really wanted the adults? to be on a mandated vaccine program. Now, one of the things I was saying is the pharmaceutical lobby is the most powerful lobby in Washington. It's outspending oil and gas two to one. I would say in front of audiences, we fight wars in the Middle East for the amount of money being poured into our government, buying senators, congressmen, presidents. Uh, We fight wars in the Middle East. What is pharma buying for that? and I would say they're buying you. Now, I know, you know, I would say we all thought it was about the Childhood Vaccine Program, but I was like, there's only like two or 3% of the children that aren't getting their vaccines. That is not what they're investing in. They want all of the adults. And what most people don't understand is the CDC has just as big a schedule for the adults as they do for the children. For the children right now, it's about 72 vaccines by the time you're 18 years old. Now, imagine if you could get, and you know, we the, adult, the childhood population is like roughly what? 65, 70 million, depending on how you look at it. Can you imagine if you could mandate these products, you know, 72 of them on every adult that's alive? Now that takes an industry from being a multi-billion dollar industry into a multi-trillion dollar industry. And here's what I find Interesting about this. In at the end of 2019, in December, the WHO had a big meeting. They brought in all the world-renowned scientists and specialists, and they were all meeting on one concept. There was this. They had made this statement that the the vaccine hesitant or vaccine hesitancy was now a top ten global threat in the world, and they all came together to figure out how do we stop vaccine hesitancy. And in that, there's several statements by the scientists and doctors over several days. But Heidi. Marson makes a very interesting point. She said, we made the world dependent on vaccines with the thought that they would all continue to take them as time went on, but now they're not and now we have a problem. We've got to get people inspired to take their vaccines again. Drew, I think the heart of this, in many ways, you could call it altruistic if you want, but the WHO, the FDA, many of the health agencies around the world are seeing the return of diseases. Now, the media will say it's the anti-vaxxers are the reason that measles is coming back. But the truth is, is the measles vaccine does not. Uh, create lifelong immunity. You are not immune for life. Even though every goal of every vaccine was to do the same thing that natural immunity could do, in this case, they've never achieved it. And so in the Disneyland outbreak, if you look at those stats, about 50% of the people in that Disneyland measles outbreak were adults, meaning it had nothing to do with their childhood vaccines. Their adult, their vaccines had worn off, and this is a real issue. There's concern about this- I'm
0: gonna stop you. I'm gonna stop you. Okay. So because that was true, what you're saying is true. I revaccinated myself and my patients. We were all revaccinated, particularly anybody born before 1968, all revaccinated. And that was that. (laughs) And that's what we did. We took a second vaccine. Uh, now I, just because it's not a lifelong coverage. I mean, if you've seen measles in adults, trust me, it is not pretty. Uh, and I, when that been as soon, and I knew that the vaccines I got in my generation were not going to last lifelong. So you can either test your blood for antibodies or just retake it. I just retook it, and right. that's what I did for right. everybody in my life and my patients and everything else. And then that was the end of that. So I, I am, right. you know, I I I am. Well, let's put it this way: uh, before the current fiasco, uh, I was. Uh, Vaccine enthusiast is not a strong enough description of, of how I've been, okay. um, but because of what's happened lately, I, I'm open to talking about things because it, suddenly I'm thinking, huh, well, all right, let, let me at least look at it. Uh, let's think about these things because it, it's so much, the, it turned out, uh, thank you COVID and thank you for all the excess of our government, things aren't always what they seem. Uh, and so uh, I'm not averse to talking about these things, but you should know you're talking about somebody who was a, a vaccine, uh, not evangelist, because I don't think evangelism has any place in medicine, but I, I was an enth- what they used to call an enthusiast. Uh, and so, but I now um, am very sympathetic to people that have concerns. I mean, I can understand why they would now. I really understand it. But before it didn't even make sense to me, and and now I get it. So let's let's go. We we've got a lot of there's a lot of territory I just know, covered. Let me, let me just quickly uh, let, and, let me let me quickly
2: yeah. sum it up because to, to get to yeah. my point. And so we agree. I mean, yeah. I I'm not going to get into a conversation about what I think of the childhood vaccines. People can go and watch all the shows I've ever done on that. My point being that as you pointed out, adults need to be getting their vaccines, and they're not. I've I've gone to health departments. The adults aren't <laughs> getting their vaccines, and so the WHO decided we need to get everyone getting their vaccines. And I'm just saying that meeting happens. They all state that we need the adults into a mandated vaccine program. Now you're going to have to convince adults they need a mandated vaccine program, that the best way to move forward is by mandating the vaccine. So how I think, and I'm not saying that the pandemic is on purpose, I think you could see that there was an opportunity that arrived when the, you know, when this pandemic started to say, Hey, why don't we make a vaccine? We can create a lot of fear around this virus just based on what we're seeing, which would be natural and maybe it's not out of line, but let's really make this the moment where we bring a vaccine to get all of the adults of the world, the people of the world back into thinking about vaccines and even maybe mm-hmm. accepting mandates around vaccines and that is what I think is a big part of what happened here. I'm not a person that, I'm not. if you notice, I'm not saying it's because some evil plot to take over the world. Yeah. I think many of yeah. the, 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 the worst things that happened the world come from good intentions
0: well that 's for sure that that is definitely true, and something for everyone to t- take those words very very seriously uh, and in fact, you know what I was talking about earlier in terms of the evangel evangelical behavior of some of our public health officials, they thought they were saving the world that 's the problem <laughs> that 's how people do horrible things i 'm sure exactly. you can name whichever totalitarian government that thought it was saving the world i mean there there they were um but back to the adult vaccines i you know
2: yeah
0: i'm probably pollyannish and naive but whatever happened to primary care medicine would a doctor and his patient sit down to decide what the hell the vaccines are and we're talking about we're, we're talking about you know the two the two the, the the two pneumonia vaccines the the pneumovax and the prevnar. we're talking about flu vaccines we're talking about shingles vaccine we're talking about whether it comes up, you know, the tetanus and those sorts of things kind of come around once in a while. Yeah. And that's about it. And maybe the HPV, if people are, you know, of course, we don't give that to old people, but that's about it. We're talking about a very few number of vaccines. And I have plenty of patients that will not take any vaccines. And we sit and we talk about it, and then they do it or they don't do it. That, that is, the, they they have to be the captain of the ship when it comes to their healthcare management. I I am the, the lieutenant. I'm, I try okay. to help advise the captain. But this idea that we're taking away People's agency in healthcare, and certainly physicians' agency is long gone, is disgusting. And you have, you have a concept, yeah. I guess you're actually speaking about medical freedom, right? I'm wondering if we're sort of right. getting onto that topic here. What do you call that and how, how do you characterize that?
2: Look, I don't believe any product. I, I, I go by the Nuremberg Code. There's a reason why we had, you know, we tried the doctors in Nazi Germany. There's a reason why we came out with the Nuremberg Code and the first rule of the Nuremberg Code, informed consent states that the voluntary consent of the patient is absolutely critical in modern medicine. They need to be told all the benefits of a product or a procedure and all the negative, negative side effects. And then and only then do they still get to make their own choice. Every vaccine mandate, every drug mandate, wherever that is happening, that is the destruction of the Nuremberg Code. That is defiance of what I think is one of the most important principles of modern medicine, certainly in the free world. And I think we're on very, very dangerous ground when we start stepping into that. If we give up our right to control What goes into our bodies, then I don't even, if I don't control my own body and I don't make the decisions for my children's bodies, then I don't think we can consider ourselves free citizens. In many ways, that looks like the same rights as a farm animal. We have got to be a part of the conversation. And I do believe in humanity that we're able to make uh, the right choices when we're given all of the information.
0: Yeah, it's hard to argue with that, uh, I, I got to say. You know, it's interesting. We were in Paris about a year and a half ago, and the French youth were rising up and making this point. I, I found it very appealing what they were doing. They said they they were in the streets every, for some reason the French demonstrated on the weekend. Every weekend night uh, in Paris they were filling the streets, and their, their basic argument was, hey, you told us this illness is not going to kill us, and now you're going to force us to take a vaccine? That is anathema to the founding principles of this republic. How can you do that? And they were they were very serious about it. I, I I'd be curious to know what's going on over there these days. Um, but it's exactly what you're saying. I mean, if we don't have, if we don't have control over our body and our body boundaries, what what where are we? What what does this become in this country?
2: Yeah, my my Uh, land rights matter, my water rights matter if I don't control my own body. And and let's look at what was being forced on us because it shows you really how bad and how quickly this gets to the point of, you know, they ended up lying about what this vaccine could do. Now remember, the one argument they make, uh, Dr. Drew, on this issue is that the reason they can force it on us is because it's protecting those around us, right? This idea of herd immunity or community immunity is how they've built it's some sort of forgiveness around the destruction of the Nuremberg Code. Well, there's some people among us that aren't doing the right thing and we've got to force them to do the right thing because they're hurting somebody else. Now, this falls on its face with COVID vaccine and frankly, many other vaccines. COVID is not alone. But as you know, the biggest lie told came right out of the bag and that was that this vaccine could stop transmission. Remember, the only way that they get away with this argument of creating herd immunity, which I don't even Mm -hmm. think and it was ne- never, test, never tested never tested either
0: Never tested, right? Never tested. That was never tested, transmission. We
2: now know from the heads of Pfizer, they never tested for transmission, yet Tony Fauci was getting on the television and saying, if you get this vaccine, you will be protecting your neighbor. You're not protecting your neighbor if the vaccine doesn't stop transmission. And I want to point out, a lot of people are awake to this fact now that the Pfizer heads have said it, but the emergency use authorization said it right there when we were looking at it. This is one of the things that I do on my show. I looked up the emergency use authorization that the FDA put out based on the vaccine. I have it written right here. It said unknown benefits and data gaps. This is a day before anyone's getting the vaccine. Vaccine effectiveness against transmission of SARS-CoV-2. Data are limited to assess the effect of the vaccine against transmission of SARS-CoV-2 from individuals who are infected despite vaccination. Meaning we have no idea if this product is gonna stop infection. So how was it that Deborah Burks? and Tony Fauci and the President of the United States for that matter are being sent out and told, telling us we have to get to protect each other when they had no proof the product could do that at all. I mean, that is is really shocking and now we know more and more people are getting sick after having had the vaccines. I think you've had scientists reporting on the negative efficacy. We just had the Cleveland Clinic, a, you know, one of our top hospitals on a study of their nurses and doctors showing that the more vaccines they're getting, the more they're catching COVID. So it's doing the opposite of what it's supposed to do. It's in, it's it's helping people get infected We're at least anecdotally, that's what we're seeing. And so now what happens to that herd immunity. Now what happens to that baby that can't vaccinate or that grandmother that is too sick to vaccinate or the cancer patient? This is the guilt trip we were all given. This is why we should vaccinate. Well, who's the more dangerous person? The person that got infected said, I'm a little bit sick. I probably shouldn't visit the baby today or I probably shouldn't visit you in the hospital. I got a scratchy throat. They've got symptoms or the person that simply got a vaccine and what they're saying it does is remove your symptoms. Now you're blind. Now the only thing that should achieved is you're blind to the fact that you're infected and you're walking into work, you're walking into hospitals, you're walking into daycare centers, and you're putting everybody at risk. I mean, this, this is the exact opposite of what we want happening in this society. I'll tell you, this isn't the only vaccine. Pertussis has the same exact problem. It does not stop transmission. You will be infected. We now know this. In fact, the science shows you will be mo- infected more often after getting a pertussis vaccine than had you not gotten it. So this idea that I'm protecting that baby, that infant, all you're doing is masking. The only alarm system lets you know you're sick. So it was. It was. It's really dangerous. The the, the line that's going on here, and we've got to ask ourselves: if they didn't test for it, at what point does Tony Fauci know he's lying to the United States of America and the world?
0: Well, that's kind of what I want to get at, and I got to put push back on pertussis because I, I don't know. When I get everybody vaccinated in an outbreak of pertussis, the people I vaccinate don't seem to get it, and everyone else seems to get it. It's it's pretty nasty if you've no, ever really been, been
2: around pertussis. Symptoms, it goes on forever. Drew, I'll send you, I'll send I'll send you the science on that. It is right, now a known fact. Yeah, it is. They are they're carriers. They they don't have the symptoms. It blocks the the I, I, th- their I, sickness, but they carry it.
0: I, I the, 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 to me problem. that's a case for getting a. I, I, but that's to me a case for getting everybody vaxxed up because pertussis is not fun. That's not a good. That's the. But you know we're going to disgrant certain stuff. Um, yeah. But I, I, I want to go back to the, the players here that you were mentioning. You know, let's do this. Before I do that, i gotta, I got to uh, take a little break. Uh, but I want to talk about – I'm just interested in – I guess it was the boiling of the frog uh, that that you know what what why would they lie what why were they so arbitrary why were they using fear why were they doing let's take the money off the table and try try I, you've made your case about the eua and the money and the i i get that and we and we have talked to many people here who feel very much like you that that that's a very significant source of motivation but i feel like early on when they started Exaggerating and using fear and setting up their playbooks where many public health officials were just running off in different directions they weren't all sort of running by the going by the play playbook and we have now as a result of this interview show, have talked to people who were in the rooms when these when the playbook was attempting to be generated, and it was just people would just run off and do their own thing and then now deborah Burks, have you written her read her book i mean she brags yeah, I- she brags about is looting and, and, and and misleading politicians to get her way in this evangelical fervor, evangelical fervor she is in, and then goes off without any direction to do, to, to persuade every governor to follow her mandate with zero evidence. Only the Chinese communist Party's uh, sort of, uh, what should we call it? They're, uh. Report on the great success of what they've done. Anyone looking at what the Chinese did, that wasn't medical; that was political. There's no medical universal lockdown. Right. That's something that totalitarian governments do for the glory of their. You know, this is part of how what they consider patriotic is sacrifice yourself, shut yeah. everything down, and let's just collectivize and deal with it, and let's make sure that we get it and sacrifice ourselves. So for the for the honor of Xi Jinping, right? That's that's who we're doing yeah. it for, not not because a doctor said hey this is going to work to reduce the transmission of a respiratory virus which will do what it does it, we all know that it just will go it will spread you can stop it for a minute but it will spread eventually all right my point is what why were think about this during the break why, why were these okay. people whom i have respected much of my career why did they get so diluted why did they get so arbitrary why were they using fear and 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 panic, uh, and, and just sort of extraordinary arbitrary, non-medical means to address this pandemic. Dale Bigtree, Dale, Dale do you have a website? Would it be the highwire.com? Is
2: that where you want people to go? The highwire.com is the best place for people to check out what I'm doing. All right.
0: All right. I want your journalist head to think about, I know, I know a journalist, yeah. you're, you're not likely to want to think about the psychology of individuals because it's so speculative. But I want, I want sort of a journalist take on what, what were the facts there? What happened? Why did it happen? We'll be right back after this. Not sure how to say I love you this Valentine's Day? Well, nothing says I love you more than a few minutes of relaxation, and Genucel Skin Care does just that. Gives you the luxury gift of feeling like you spent the entire day in the spa, all while, in fact, in the comfort of your own home. Susan loves to feel pampered and special, especially on Valentine's Day, so why not relax with a detoxifying mask and feel amazing after only one use?
1: I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucell, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time, and I'm so excited because it's actually working.
0: Geniusell's mask works wonders by pulling out all of your imperfections to make you feel refreshed and looking like you just stepped out of a facial appointment. Order the Dr. Drew package today and try this amazing mask for free. That's right. Every single Dr. Drew and Susan package includes a free mask to celebrate you and your loved one on this Valentine's Day. Go to GenuCell.com dot com slash drew and enter code drew for an extra 10% off your entire purchase plus all orders are upgraded to priority shipping for free that's genucel.com slash drew dot com slash d-r-e-w my guest is philip patrick he is a precious metal specialist trains at university of redlands he has spent years as a wealth manager at citigroup and his current position is with birch gold group So gold has always been uh, somewhat of a safe haven, particularly in times of great turmoil, Uh, much like our present moment, I imagine.
2: Gold has always traditionally been a safe haven asset. Gold specifically has has always been about wealth preservation, right? Gold has it always held its buying power. You can look at as far back as you'd like in history and biblical times, one ounce of gold would
0: buy somebody 400 loaves of bread. And today it does the same thing. So it's a store of
2: value, but I would say in times like this, as you mentioned, it's particularly important when you're dealing with things like 40 year high inflation, You know the air that's coming out of a stock market bubble, these times in particular tend to drive gold and silver up quite significantly. If things are different, the solution needs to be different as well. So I encourage everyone to get informed and we have a lot of good information here to help your listeners.
0: Just a reminder, I am not a financial advisor and I do not give out financial advice nor investing advice. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out now. Visit BirchGold.com/Drew and secure your future with gold. Do it now. And we are back with Dell Big Tree, and uh, I will get Dell to the VSafe app in just a minute. But I want to uh, see if you have any thoughts about the gauntlet I was laying down before the break. Yeah.
2: Well, look, I'm going to stick with sort of my original theory and what that is. And it's not it's not I think we I think we undersell it when we make it money based. I think there's a lot of great doctors and scientists out there that really do care about the world. And as I said, I think there are good intentions that could lead to bad outcomes. And in this situation, I think in the United States of America, but also around the world, there's a real concern for biological warfare, which is one of the reasons they passed the 1986 vaccine recompensation program. We want to always have enough facilities is able to make vaccines should we get attacked with smallpox and things like that. We also are concerned with super viruses that could either be released from a laboratory or happen in nature and the irony of that is we make these Frankenstein things and put everyone at risk in order to try and stay ahead of the game. Now I think that there's a couple of things that were mm-hmm. taking place there, number one, If there's an attack, or if there's something where we need to protect the population, there's two things that need to happen. You need to be able to ramp up a product very quickly, and you need to be able to track everybody that's got it. So let's just stay in the positive space. We're trying to be a positive, uh, look forward-looking government, uh, as as many are. So you wanted a tracking system. So you saw a vaccine passport come up in part of this discussion. We're also hearing in the future perhaps a passport that starts tracking carbon credit scores. There's a real desire to track our moves and decisions uh, through an app, or some people are afraid of injections. I think as long as the phone does it, we can't live without it. So you saw tracking systems coming into place. And then I think the mRNA technology. This is a technology that had never really been used in human beings uh, before. Uh, It comes from genetic splicing and and, and decisions trying to use mRNA to uh, do gene therapies. A lot of people would say this should have been approved like a gene therapy would have never been released if that group had had looked at it, but the beauty of the MRNA technology for those people that have this grave concern that what is going to wipe us off the planet someday will be a virus or a weapons attack. The MRNA platform gives the ability to make a vaccine faster than we've ever seen it overnight. But the funding Moderna had been playing with this for, you know, over a decade and failing at it, but they really loved it. And just prior to this COVID outbreak in the summer of 2009. 19, suddenly Moderna has a breakthrough and they're able to make an mRNA vaccine technology that can create antibodies or get a body to react with antibodies. The beauty of this platform is literally it's almost like taking a computer code, wrapping it in a fatty lipid and boom, you're ready to go. You don't have to grow it in eggs. You don't have to take all this time. So there was a real love of this technology and I think the pandemic gave them the opportunity to pour billions and billions internationally into this technology to try and ramp it up. Now the problem is I don't think they got it there. I also think it was extremely dangerous to be delivering a technology this new, that's spelunking the immune system in a way we've never done before and then decide to give it to everybody but this is where I think they're blind. I think they're blind with the idea of a vaccine that can ramp up overnight. Think of all of the viruses, the millions of bacteria and viruses. We can now make vaccines overnight and, and they are beginning to do that. So it, what are they going to do? We got to fund it. We got to get people to believe in it. We got to show that it can work. And so, I, and on top of it, like I said, we need all adults to start deciding to get back into the vaccine program. I think those were all of these sort of altruistic thoughts behind these people that started doing draconian things. We even heard—I I forget her name—is it Michelle Wen on CNN saying, "Look, you can't stop the lockdowns because that's the carrot is is to get people to vaccinate." So there was this. They were even saying to us on the television that the reason we're locking people down is to inspire them that the vaccine is the only way they can get their lives back. So it was all around getting this technology up and running, fast-tracking it, and ignoring all the problems they were having with it. Because number one, after you poured billions of dollars into it, no one wants the world to think the mRNA technology is a failure. And so now, as I know you're reporting on and people that you're having on the show, we're burying so many of the issues that are there, I think that's a huge part of it. Let's get everybody back in the vaccine program. Let's really stimulate the world to be using this new technology that can save us from nature itself. And we'll also be able to inspire people to start signing up to these tracking systems so that we can track not just viruses and bacteria, but other things we wanna be monitoring you through to be a better society. That is the sort of my quick version you can ask any questions you want around that
0: tell me about the v-safe app
2: okay so, the vSafe data, and this is again like where are we getting the truth? What's really happening? Uh, one of the things my nonprofit does is we bring a lot of lawsuits. Uh, we spend millions of dollars suing really the government since liability has been taken away from the manufacturer. We decided let's sue Health and Human Services. So, we've won against HHS, CDC, FDA, uh, the National Institute of Health. One of our cases was for the vSafe data. Now, the vSafe data was an app that was built uh for the COVID-19 vaccine specifically you're aware of the VAERS the vaccine adverse events reporting system that's our passive recording reporting system for all vaccine injury but we wanted something more specific especially because in many ways we're turning the United States of America and the world for that matter into a giant test group. And so we needed something to monitor how well it was going. This app was designed to do that. It was supposed to be a quick response app so that we could see if there was any problems in the release in the population. Well, this app was built and 10 million users signed up for it. 10 million people that got the vaccine, many were offered it, you had to sign on to it. They signed up to use this app. So 10 million people got the app and it basically set up two sections that we're asking you fill in the box questions, right? part number one asked every day of the first week, you know, are you having symptoms? And it it listed the symptoms, headaches, you know, uh, chills, fever, things like that, uh, uh, pain in the arm, all things that by, let's be honest, were all things that were what you would report if the vaccine was working. In fact, all the people that reported and checked that box, the CDC and the FDA, they all said, oh, that's great. It just shows that your body is being stimulated by the vaccine. So what was the point in asking those questions? Then you have the next set of boxes three boxes and they asked really important this is the most important question did you seek hospitalization or medical care did you uh, were you unable to go to work or go to school or were you unable to perform daily functions okay those were the three boxes well we fought for a year they fought back not giving us this data this is our remember they work for us this is our government this is supposed to be our data why did they wait a year year and we sued from multiple directions we finally got it and here's what we discovered right off the bat that out of the 10 million people that signed up to this you know 780,000 of them reported that they sought medical care uh, and hospitalization and or hospitalization after vaccination. That's 7.7%. That's astronomical when we think of, a, of, of vaccines. 7.7% had to go to an urgent care or a hospital to deal with some issue that we we're having. That's huge. Then when we look at whether or not they could go to school or to work or couldn't perform daily functions, 25% filled out that part of uh, the boxes. So we now know that out of the 10 million, nearly 30 percent of them couldn't get through daily functions, couldn't go to work or school, or in the worst case scenario 7.7 percent sought medical care. That's a disaster. And now we know why the CDC was trying to keep that data from getting to us. Now let me explain where we really start seeing, I think, whether it's sinister or not, a real decision to not be forthcoming and this is it why isn't this app, as I'm sure you're asking yourself, why isn't it have a check the box for myocarditis? Why isn't there pericarditis or blood clots or thrombocytopenia or anaphylaxis? These were all things we knew really early on and if this is your rapid response app system, shouldn't that be exactly the questions you're asking about so we can find out how many people are having that issue? Well, they even sat down, we have got through FOIA requests, we know that they wrote out exactly that. They put adverse Events of special interest, and they listed all of those special interest uh, injuries that they knew could happen, and then they made a table of it all while building the app, but in the end. They never had the app ask those questions. I think we've got to ask ourselves why. It's like you don't want to know the truth. And so to finish this up, uh, Dr. Drew, instead of asking all the important questions of all the side effects we knew existed, they leave an open box that you could fill in up to 250 words. This is the part of it that we are still suing for. They are refusing to give it to us right now. And in that box, we know there are 7 million entries in this open text box. So we're well beyond, you know, swelling in the arm and headache and fever. Whatever people are writing this box, obviously they are taking it very seriously. And so we want that data. And ironically, you know what they're saying, Dr. Drew? They're saying, we don't have the time to go through and remove the personal information from those text boxes. I can't imagine how many people are putting their phone number and name in a text box that's basically saying, I'm on my way to the hospital. I need real help but they're saying we don't have time for that but here's what they said they will do they will break down every one of those you know n- you know 7 million inserts down to a code they want to give us a medical code that'll just say you know heart problem or whatever it is so you have the time to break down these paragraphs into a medical code which would obviously take a team of people but you don't have time to just take out whatever personal id they randomly put in there it makes no sense and i think that inside those Boxes is the real truth of what's going on here. But we shouldn't even have to be that far. If 30% of the people couldn't get through the day, now imagine all the military. We and We have funded the Army case, and we, we helped stop the forced vaccination in the Army, especially those that got religious exemption. There's the Air Force case. The argument with the military is we need them ready to go, ready to fight. That's why they have to get this vaccine. They can't have a religious exemption. Well, if that's the case, we know that 30% can't go out and fight. They can't even go to work or school and are probably on their way to the hospital. This whole thing is totally insane. And I think it's really gonna destroy confidence in COVID vaccine for sure, probably the entire vaccine program, and maybe in our government if they don't start being honest with us.
0: Right, so, so there's two things in what you've just said that I think are very important. One is that the, the big, if you had to sort of pick a, a headline of, of where they went off the rail, the lack of transparency is just bizarre. It's just, it's sort of, again, it's sort of disgusting. What, what, you can't handle the truth? Is that what they're telling us? The the tra- lack of transparency doesn't make any sense to me. And then the other question you asked to ask was why? Why are they doing this? Why Like, for instance, the question I'm constantly asking, if the risk to a, let's say, an adolescent male or young adult male of COVID is, approaching zero. It's very remote. It's yeah. very unlikely to cause significant in, uh, illness. Why are they pushing so hard on the vaccine, especially given what we think we're seeing, which is, seems to be more myocarditis and supraventricular arrhythmias and all kinds of things that that suddenly I'm seeing a lot of. So A, why? And B, where's the data on that? I mean, is there more sudden death? Is there more myocarditis? How, what is the risk reward of giving a 32-year-old, a vaccine. How are we supposed to figure that out? Back to your Nuremberg code. How do I give informed consent to a 30-year-old when I don't have the data and I'm confused about it and I can't can't seem to get the questions answered? What do you say to that?
2: Well, Well, what I would say to that is that is how this whole game is played. It's actually been played with the entire vaccine program. I know because I have a team of scientists and doctors around the world has read every single trial of every single vaccine. And you'd be shocked to know that this COVID vaccine trial is one of the best that was ever done. We've never had a trial this large of any of the childhood vaccines. It has never gone on as long as this trial has. And in this case, we used a saline placebo. And one of the things that Robert Kennedy Jr. and I, we were asked by Dr. Donald Trump to go and speak with the people at the NIH. We spoke to Tony Fauci, Francis Collins, and we said, why can't we find a single saline placebo study of any of the childhood vaccines? And, the, and as it turns out, they've never been done. They're not doing the proper science, and I, you know. And so what it comes down to is they won't do the science. We asked them. They said, we can't do a placebo study of a vaccine because it would be unethical. And this points to your religious perspective of this program Meaning, we believe this product is so great, even the moment it's created, when we look at Gardasil vaccine, for for instance, the first time we're going to try and vaccinate for cancer, we believe it's so great, before we've ever tested it, that to have a placebo group that we deny this life-saving product would just be unethical. And then we went on to say, well then, you are sitting on the Vaccine Safety Data Link Database. They have 10 million people in the database. Why don't you just do uh, the same study you do of every other product, ask simple questions Questions. You know, take the unvaccinated group, which we now know there's over ten, tens of thousands of unvaccinated people in the CDC's de- database. You have fully vaccinated people, and just do the study: who has more cancer? Who has more autoimmune disease? Who has more diabetes? Autism? All of these questions that we see being asked all the time, Drew, they could they could end this conversation forever if they could put out a study that shows that the vaccinated inside of that database are healthier than the unvaccinated. They won't do that study. They won't do any study and this is what we keep suing on so that they can say to you, we don't have a study that shows that this product is causing myocarditis. We don't have a study that shows that this product is causing uh, blood clots. And when you and I are saying, well, why don't you do that study? This is the whole game that's being played with the pharmaceutical industry and our regulatory agencies and it's got to stop because if we keep putting out products that are forced on the entire population, population that aren't getting proper safety and efficacy trials our species is not going to last very long in this world what if we have a thalidomide or what if we have a product like that that really causes harm or or the morning after the, the morning uh, sickness drug that ended up making it so that the next generation of girls couldn't have children all of this should be a concern for us we cannot be rushing the proper the, the process of safety trials and we've got to be demanding that our regulatory agencies do the exact studies we're all curious about. We want a myocarditis study right away, and I just found out the FDA had asked Pfizer to do that. It was supposed to be released in 2022. Now they're pushing back the release to 2023, and we got to ask ourselves why. What are they seeing in that study that they don't want us to see?
0: uh, Just to fill in what you were just saying is the the DES babies we're talking about, where they gave that without proper testing until until it was too late. Um, What is your legal organization looking at next? What's in their crosshairs, or can you say?
2: Well, some of it we can't say, uh, but the things that we're looking at, we're definitely looking at school mandates across the country. We stopped, we broke the law in Washington, D.C. that mandated that children could vaccinate themselves without parental consent. I believe the age was at 12 years old. Uh, And when you look at laws like that, it was really horrific. Not only did it allow a child to decide to get a vaccine against their parents' will, the law mandated that the doctor had to write up a fake script on the whole thing so that the parents never saw it. It mandated that the insurance company wouldn't list it in the insurance payout even though they would charge for it. And it mandated that the school would hand the parents a different vaccine card than the one they had on file. You literally had a law that was taking agencies and working against the parents and dividing the family. Those are the things we're looking at. We're deeply involved in the lawsuits around um, the the military right now and trying to make sure that they have the rights that they're fighting for uh, out there, fighting to make sure Sure that we're free. We want them to have those same rights. And we are looking very strongly at ways that we can make sure that there's an exemption and probably more specifically a religious exemption available to everybody in every country. That is, I mean, in every state in America, that's a real focus of ours. I believe everybody should be allowed to decide whether or not they want to vaccinate. I don't think mandates should be the end of this. I think we've got to end mandates. And lastly, I think the biggest thing we should do is put liability back on the manufacturer. We wouldn't have seen this clown show and everything that's not making sense to any of us if the manufacturers had liability. They proved it to us. Did you know in in Belgium, didn't want to give liability protection to AstraZeneca and AstraZeneca said publicly, we have got to have that exemption, that that protection from liability, because we don't know what happens if an adverse event appears four years down the road. We can't be held liable for it. So the manufacturers are worried about long-term safety consequences, sure, uh, sure. and they need to be protected. Why aren't our regulatory agencies and, and for this matter, the president of the United States?
0: Well, my sort of take on that would be. Uh, it was an emergency. they were taking a lot of risk. they knew they were taking risk, but my my question let's just posit that if we posited that, agree on that. why can't they fill in the research that they obfuscated and the, you know why can't they go back and fill in the fill in the blank so to speak in in the in the testing that should have been done at least some of it and again that's sort of a fall of the money thing, right I mean why should they they don't have to
2: well, they don't have to, and it goes beyond the money. If we realize what happens here, if, if our suspicions are correct, then you have corruption inside of your government at a level and, and could be responsible literally for the death of hundreds of thousands of people in America. The decisions to deny you know, early treatment is is, is really, it's, it's horrifying when you look at the numbers if those treatments had worked. I know we're not going to get into that, but the point being, you know, those are decisions that if we go back and look at it, what will we find out? And here's what we know. And again, this is our regulatory agency. As soon as they get an emergency use authorization, which means they're jumping out of these trials way too early to establish safety. And, and at this mm-hmm. point, they weren't even looking at efficacy. So I'm not sure what they were even looking at at all. But they race out with emergency use authorization. And then as soon as they get that authorization, what do they do? They say, well, ethically, now that everybody in the country can get it, we can't deny deny the placebo group. And then they unblind the entire study and start vaccinating all the placebo group so that we'll never have the proper data to be able to say who had more issues of cancer, myocarditis. Carditis, peri- pericarditis, all of these issues, they erased our placebo group and our FDA is a part of that decision. And now that the vaccine's out, we can't ever go back and start a new placebo group because that would really be unethical. They know this. They're tying our hands and feet around doing proper evidence-based science. It's, it's a disaster and we really need to clean house on our regulatory agencies that are allowing this to happen. Are you up to take some calls? i am okay
0: Love i I just I want you to think about something I'm just gonna my my audience here has heard me talk about this but i I've got to tell you because I live through these different you know I've practiced medicine for almost forty years, so I've yeah. seen all these crazy things come and go but but this the the behavior and the playbook for this pandemic as I look back on it now is line and verse exactly what happened during the opioid epidemic we had people well-meaning who became evangelical who captured the regulatory agencies captured the va captured the cma captured, captured all the organizations that supervised physicians physicians were silenced mandated and off we went and there the, it was the evangelist physicians of course the drug companies getting blamed for this but it was created by and drug companies are duplicitous don't get me wrong but the, it was created by evangelical physicians who believed that they were gonna save the world from pain and that anyone who didn't pay as much attention to pain as a fifth vital sign as the pulse, those people were to be put in prison for inadequate treatment of pain. And they did it. They put a few people in prison. So anyway, let's get a speaker in here. It's, Kim has a question for Adele. And you guys, you have to unmute yourself and the mic is in the lower left-hand corner there. And Kim, you're still muted.
3: Hi there. Um, thank, thank you for hosting this space. Um, I've enjoyed listening in. I came in a little bit late, so I apologize if you guys discussed this already. But with the new universal unvax codes that they're trying to get doctors to use, um, I assume that some of it's for nefarious reasons. But I wonder would it help with the vax versus unvax study? Because now they're going to be able to track the the health conditions of the unvaxed compared to the vaxed. What are your thoughts on
1: they, that?
0: They might, and it also occurred to me when I when I saw that coming around, I thought I think what that's all about is doctors are going to be perhaps mandated to bring patients in with that code to counsel them, uh, which is kind of interesting. I, I see that in the yeah. <laughs> down the road here, but Dale, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that we're getting our own medical condition code for those that aren't, you know, vaccinating. Um, I think it's a dangerous step, and it's pointing to the whole issue I'm talking about is tracking systems. This is really where we're moving into this dystopian world where they want to track not only as as uh, Yuval Noah Harari, a big spokesperson for the World Economic Forum, brags about the fact that they don't want to just track where we are, they want to track what's under our skin, what's happening with our, you know, our bio information. Our governments want that. I can't blame them for wanting it, you know, it's just like having a child that you can Control and you discipline in a way that they don't speak up or do anything it doesn't matter if they don't go on to be productive adults at least you have silence in your house and you're in full control but there's a reason our country is founded on a different set of principles which is freedom now sure I suppose you could imagine there would be some data collected there but as I've said before we have a VSD that has all of that data and they are saying to our faces in meetings where we're sitting right across from them they will not do that study that is what they said we will not compare these two groups. So I'm not down with being tracked and I highly doubt that a government that has been mandating and forcing people to take a product are going to turn around and say, oh, our bad, our mistake, as it turns out, the healthiest people are those that aren't having pharmaceutical interventions and vaccines. I mean, we don't know how that would turn out. I have to assume that study's already been done. I'll be honest with you, because people will say to me, Dell, why do you keep demanding that the CDC do a vaccinated versus unvaccinated study? You know they're going to try and manipulate that study. And I say, I guarantee you they must have done that study 50 times sideways, because they know the moment they could show us a study that shows the vaccinated are healthier, they would parade it over every headline in the world and shut Dell Beatry up and Robert Kennedy Jr. up and every other doctor Ew. that's now starting to ask questions. They would shut us up. Plus, There's a reason they're not plus, doing that study.
1: Plus the legality be- behind it. Nobody's going to admit it because then they're just going to get sued left and right, like over and over again.
0: Barbara, you're up as a speaker. You just mute your, unmute your mic there for us.
1: Sorry, I had to jump on that. I, it's I, okay, Barbara's I'm unmuted. getting really heated over here, Drew.
0: But I, I know that. I can see that. <laughs> Do you have any questions, Susan, for, for Dell?
1: No, no. I, I, love it. Everybody loves it. Just okay, uh, Barbara, it you're, you're
0: up. Um, uh, you're unmuted. And I'm not hearing you for some reason.
2: While we're waiting for Barbara, Drew, I just want to say the only difference, really, the major striking difference between this and the whole opioid epidemic is that in that case, you can still sue the manufacturer of that product, which gives us a lot of information in courtrooms that we cannot get on vaccinations. Uh, That's a huge part of it. And nobody was ever mandated to take uh, that painkiller. So those two things really put this in an extraordinary, position it is they're very similar in that people say are you telling me doctors are poisoning me on purpose with vaccines no I don't believe that at all they're believing the science just the way they did with you know the the opioid epidemic we we saw these products and the FDA was saying they're safe the CDC saying they're safe doctors that's their Bible when they go to it if the regulatory agency says it's safe non-habit forming that is what you believe you've been taught to believe that so that is our biggest issue. It's not the pharmaceutical industry that's going to try and push products out there that maybe aren't ready to go. Our regulatory agencies are supposed to catch this, and really, as the, the opioid epidemic is getting out of control, at that same time, the FDA starts asking the pharmaceutical industry that's making it to do a study, can we give this to kids? I mean, they're not even You're, you're they're, missing they're, you're, Go ahead. I I'm get it. You're, I'll, missing I'll, yeah. you're missing a layer. You're
0: missing a layer. We really The FDA has almost nothing to do with medicine, almost nothing. They, they, they determine what comes to the market. They don't determine what we do with it. They don't determine anything. We, we, I mean, I, before this pandemic, I didn't give two thoughts to the FDA and what they were thinking or doing, uh, other than they were p- watching out for safety and I trusted them to do that. But right. what happens is you get these physicians that are evangelists and they get control of professional societies. So each each discipline of medicine has their own professional society. I have the American College of Physicians, there's the American College of Gynecologists and obstetrics, American College of General Surgeon. They're each of these a professional society. And they are if the evangelicals get inside those organizations, they start mandating and creating directives. Then that group get gets a hold of. When I was working in the psychiatric hospital, it would be the Department of Mental Health, the Joint Commission on Hospital Accreditation, the California Board of Medical Quality Assurance. I was fighting all those people on a daily basis. Because why? Because when I did my fifth vital sign evaluation of my heroin addicts in withdrawal, guess what? They weren't a happy face. They were an unhappy face. And the fact that I wouldn't give that heroin addict in withdrawal, who was actually reasonably comfortable, more opiates. I was being threatened with my license. That was the insanity. Yeah. That did not come from the regulators. That did not come from the FDA. That came from the Joint Commission. That came from my professional societies, came from pain medical organizations. And it, it's, it, that's how they really do their magic. And if you notice, yeah. that's what happened here. People were silenced. Indeed. People's medical license were challenged. They, they know just, it's a playbook. I, I don't know if people consciously know that they're following a playbook. But this is how it happens each and every time. It it I you seem to have lost.
2: Dr. Paul Thomas yep. um, up in Oregon was did a vaccine versus unvaccinated study inside his own practice of over, you know, he had over 1000 patients for doing that study and saying just I have those that come in that don't want them. Here's that did. Here's what I'm seeing, you know, health, asthma, all these issues. His license is is under review for those. So it's always the case that, you know, the, the licensing bodies. I mean, this thing, it's it's we have a problem all all, all over the place. And I feel really bad for doctors. Because I think they get into the profession to save people's lives, and then at the moment where they really think they can do something, all the great scientists and doctors you've had on—they're under attack because they're not acting like a computer. What are we going to turn? Are we going to just turn doctors into, into kiosks? Because that's about all it is. If the CDC, FDA, or well, whatever licensing you, boards are going to, you know, mandate yeah. it all out, I'll just punch let, in well, my problem on you. a computer and give me a drug.
0: Well, it's clear to me that. I did primary care for many years as part of what I did, and it's very clear to me that the, again, there's a playbook underway that's pretty clear, is that I was trained in critical thought and very careful artistry of applying my judgment. You no longer hear about the art of medicine. That is not a term you hear any longer. What you hear is evidence-based medicine, which are, which are pathways, which are algorithms, handed down from on high. And if all of medicine, Christine, I'll be with you just a second. If all of medicine, of general medicine, the sort of frontline medicine is done by algorithms and not the care and the thought and the attention paid to each patient's health care is done algorithmically, which is what COVID exposed. They're just all algorithms. It's all we were doing following algorithms. Well, now you don't need physicians in the primary care role. You can put all kinds of paraprofessionals and physician extenders in there. And that's clearly what they're going for. That's clearly the next phase of, of all this. So you, so the insurance companies can save tons and tons and tons of money. Uh, and then God, God help you when you have to get to a consultant. We all know how frustrating that is if there are limited resources. That's true. Right? Okay, yeah, Kristen. That's Christine. Christine. Hi,
3: Dr. Drew. Hey there. Hi, Dale. I didn't know if you were going to introduce me. Uh, good. I'm a great... Big fan, Del. Um, my name is Christy Grace. I am uh, an expert, I guess, in the nanoparticle and RNA, and I've managed and made these projects. But uh, my question isn't about that. It was just uh, I have two of them that I'd I'd love to hear from both of you on because I know the milestones in these projects and how they're made. Um, recently, two, two things. Uh, when you talked about regulatory agencies, uh, the FDA and Biden has now decided that no animals need to be used. Or drug discovery anymore I don't know if you you read that that's can't be
0: can't be used or need to be used
3: do not need to be used yeah. any longer
0: need to be used interesting yeah. so no more
3: animal studies required but uh, the big thing that I'm worried about when we talk about RNA because of the projects that I've designed which have been small cohorts for like kids who have cancer like it's their plan B and it's really purified and when we talk about the rollout of this is when we think about products that have been launched on the backs of other products that were approved. Studies have shown now that these products that were approved based on other drugs earlier and the other drug was recalled previously, the new drug that had less testing because it was similar to the old one are not being recalled. So my worry with this one, Del, when you talk about too that, you know, they're being rolled out, they didn't do the studies, and now they're rolling out everything RNA, is that going to be the case as well, that they're not going to have to do the necessary studies because they weren't done here and they have been approved?
0: And Christy, let me ask something. Before Adele. hold that thought. I just want to ask her because I, I know you're looking very carefully at, liquid, at uh, lipid nanoparticles. Shouldn't we... I, I've been looking forward to LNPs for the treatment of cancer and mRNA vaccines, too. I, I, I know that technology has been flying around for a while. Don't you think we need to really be careful that we preserve this for desperate illnesses? Not not that we only use it desperately. projects I've done. But what I'm saying is I'm so fearful it's going to get such a black eye that all of it's going to, you know, we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So I just want to make sure you agreed with that.
3: I do because that I've seen projects where kids and I can't go into specifics because of NDA where there were really small cohorts and kids who can't eat and and that'll uh, and and now they can.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like on storage
3: disease. Now they can eat based on but that was like highly filtered. Processes yeah. that had a lot more testing. Yeah. And that's just not what's happening here, but it, it has helped people tremendously.
0: No, that is exactly. In these that, smaller cohorts. No, very, and I still believe in it. I, that's what I, w- I wanted to clarify. Thank you for that. No, Dell, her first challenge, go ahead.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, and I think she's absolutely right. And it is a huge concern. We already see the writing on the wall. They want to approve, first of all, when we're watching these boosters being approved on the safety of the previous product. I mean, now you're mixing two different variants. What does that do in the body? We should have brand new studies and trials. We didn't get them. We're not going to get these things. Now we see mRNA technology vaccines looking at all sorts of other diseases, and they're going to want to say, well, it's the same thing. It's already been approved for safety uh, using the COVID vaccine. And the irony of that is we all watch them not do the proper study, jump out in the middle of an emergency use authorization. We have no long-term data on how this is, is going to uh, affect us. And they're gonna use that data to say all mRNA vaccines are safe. We already see the writing. There's, there's scientists that are stating exactly that. But by the way, it's there's nothing new. That's been my point from the beginning. This is exactly how every vaccine has been approved so far they compare it to another vaccine, not to a saline placebo. Nobody ever started from scratch. All 16 vaccines given in 72 doses never had a randomized control trial using a saline placebo. It was compared to another vaccine or sometimes another trial product. They will literally do trials against another trial product and say this new trial product did better than that trial product. We're moving on and it gets to be you know very problematic and when we look at the Pfizer trials I mean right now we sued for that data too. that data is coming out from the Pfizer trials and we see things like there was 20 deaths in the Pfizer group and I think 14 deaths in the un- in the placebo group and yet that vaccine's moving forward and we're being told it's safe and they're like oh well don't trust those deaths well this is the problem when you have the pharmaceutical industry doing its own safety studies for itself and then reporting to our regulatory agencies that some of them are now making money off the products that it's all okay. And I think to finish it up, Dr. Drew, the most terrifying thing to me, and you you wanna ask about a red flag, was when I was watching the head of the FDA and and Tony Fauci excited and jumping up and down, promising me that I would be getting a COVID vaccine within the year while they were still in phase one and two trials. Why is my regulatory agency promising me this product's gonna be in my hands within the year? It's not been successful for over a decade. Every coronavirus vaccine attempt 20 years was an absolute failure, and yet my regulatory agencies are excited and telling me, Get ready, we're going to get this to you. No, 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 no. I want them saying, we'll see, we're gonna do our due diligence. We'll see, we're we're looking at Pfizer, we're looking at Moderna, we'll see the trial data, and then we'll see how this plays out. When they're promising us a product that isn't, and buying hundreds of millions of them before they're even through their early phase trials, you know something's gone wrong. We have really lost our way.
0: It was an emergency, uh, extraordinary measures, extraordinary times, but lack of transparency and the inability to ask for Questions is really that what disturbs me, you know. Clinical often uh, uh, is is um, ahead of the the evidence basis, ahead of the science. And I can just tell you, my elderly patients uh, seem to have benefited from the vaccine series. I'm, I don't think I think I'm kind of done with them. I'm not clear that I would do more, um, but I've seen very little side effect, and I've, I've been in some scary situations with some el- elderly patients with multiple comorbidities who have done pretty well, and I lost patients earlier in the pandemic with comorbidities, particularly things like uh, lupus anticoagulant and whatnot. We now know that's a major issue. But what's so concerning to me is, uh, okay, let's say I'm my clinical impression is correct. Let's just say we have we have helped elderly people with comorbidities who, uh, you, we started out with this conversation, you saying that's who we should have been focused on in the first place, which is, I agree with you. But let's say I'm correct. Why is it anathema? Why is it sacrilege? Why do I have to be fearful to go, I'm not sure a 27 year old should be getting this. I'd like to see more data. Am I seeing more death there? Am I seeing sudden death? Am I seeing more micro? What is the risk reward? God forbid you ask that question. And in the meantime, until those questions are answered, I can't can't give proper informed consent to that 27 year old. I can only tell them my thoughts (laughs) and what I think might be a problem. And uh, that to me is that lack of transparency and that lack of ability to ask questions, try to come up with informed consent and to really require those questions to be answered is what I I work up, I I get upset about every day. Uh, And I know you're thinking about bigger things and I, I I thank you for getting those FOIA documents and for getting the Pfizer data. I thought we were gonna have to wait 75 years to see what came from Pfizer. When are we actually going to get that data?
2: Uh, it's we're, we're coming to the last tranches that are coming in right now. They were given one year. I want to thank all those that support the work that I do, because it's not me paying for that. It's we are a complete nonprofit donation base. that makes the high wire possible. They're the ones that have funded and made the Pfizer data available, made the VSafe data available. We have a great lawyer in in Aaron Siri, But yeah, we I think we're I think we're two or three months out from the final end of all of that data being in our hands. And we have to imagine that whatever's at the end of that pile is probably the best stuff. So we're looking forward to seeing what we learn from all of that.
0: Great. Well, maybe I'll be talking to you again when we finally are able to answer some of these questions that I just I shake my head like why what is happening? What has happened to us? What's going on here? But uh appreciate you. It's the dot com and the highwire, of course, the podcast. And uh I, I Susan, you're leaning into your mic there. I know everyone's very happy on the. Viewing no, I'm game, just
1: reading all the comments, which have been
0: extraordinary. There's a lot of action and uh,
1: very, in the, very pro Dell.
0: Yeah, a lot of Dell fans uh, amongst cool. us. So, uh, we appreciate you being here, and for everyone else, we will see you tomorrow with Roy Cole, uh, with uh, uh, Doctor Cole. Why am I blanking on his first name?
1: Ryan. Uh, Ryan. Dr. Ryan. And then Ryan Schellenberger Cole. on Tuesday.
0: Oh, and yeah, Michael Schallenberger coming in on Tuesday, everybody. Is that I, how you say Schellen or Sha- Schellenberger? I say Schellenberger. I-, I walked uh, Skid Row with Michael uh, once and was um, had a co- little conference with him afterwards. And man, that is one of the most impressive dudes I've ever met. So if you want to hear some clarity and some truth, uh, Michael Schellenberger is your man. And he will be here on Tuesday at 3 o'clock. But we'll see you tomorrow at 3 with Ryan Cole. No <sighs>